0: So we're, we're continuing our series, uh, Family Matters, and uh, we have been talking about how we want to be a multi-generational church, and we want to create a family culture that future generations don't have to recover from. And when we fight for our families, God fights for us and with us. And how many of you today are saying, I'm fighting for my families. I really want to fight for the future of my family. I want a healthy family culture. And I just think there's something powerful that happens when we make that declaration in our heart. And I'm just proud of you for going into some of these sensitive subjects with an open heart and saying, God, be the Lord of my house. God, I don't want to repeat the mistakes of the past. I don't want to create a culture that my children have to recover from. And I believe God's honoring that. And we're doing some things at Kalos Church to make sure people realize that we aren't just a church for 23-year-olds. While we do love people in their 20s, come on, we want to be a multi-generational church. We actually said that last week in this Lady said, Oh my goodness, I was about to leave. I have gray hair. I didn't think I was allowed here. And we said, No, we we want all demographics, all generations here. And she's like, All right, I'll stick around. And, and she's like, I'm gonna make this my church. And we're like, yes, and amen. And so even next week, we're doing something called Family Sunday, and we're inviting people to test drive their costumes out because we want to reach people with the gospel. And we realize that is a pretty dark time. But the thing about Jesus is that he can turn bad things and make them good. In fact, that's redemption. And we believe that the light shines most brightly in the darkest times. Amen. And so I think it's our calling to be a bright light. And so we're asking people to test drive their costumes next week, all of us, so that we can create a safe environment for children. And we're giving free candy Bags, I grew up in Minnesota, so I say candy bags. We're giving them out to all the kids. And so how many of you guys, when you were kids, you would have come to church for a free candy bag before Halloween, amen? And so, hey, I I encourage you, bring your family, friends, bring yourselves, show up in costumes, so church-appropriate costumes, okay? All right, Moses, church-appropriate, so that we can create a safe environment for kids to experience the beauty of Jesus, Amen. How many of you guys can join us in that to be a multi-generational church to make this a safe place for kids to encounter the beauty and the love of Jesus? And so I believe it. It's gonna be good. Well, let's jump into the third part of Family Matters, this series all about family. Matthew 12, 25 says this, but Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. So the title of my message today is Family Reunion. Dear Father, I pray that we wouldn't just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word, and that your will would be done. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to start off with a funny joke. You know, there's this family gathering around the dinner table, and they invited some guests to join them that night. And the mom of the table of the family said to her daughter, hey, honey, would you lead us in a family blessing over the food and pray for the food? And the daughter said, okay, mom, but I don't know what to pray. And the mom said, honey, it's okay. Just, just pray what you, you heard mommy praying. Just pray like that. And so they all bow their heads and pray over the meal. And she says, dear Lord, why did I invite all these people here for dinner? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Today I want to talk about this idea of a family reunion in place of family distance, family separation. I know that there have been times where we grow apart. We grow distant. There's hurts and betrayals and pain in family. And we have the temptation to to leave or separate or, as the millennials say, ghost our families. And uh, I want to address this because in these times of hurt and pain in our families, we're tempted to say something in our hearts. We're tempted to say something in our minds. And it's a phrase I'm going to teach you later on in this message. But I think it's a phrase that sometimes we utter that, that wreaks havoc in our families and creates an unhealthy culture. And I'm going to challenge all of us to, to kind of remove this vocab from our lives and our hearts and our families. And I believe that it will help us to create a healthier culture. You know, when I was uh, uh, about to get engaged to Pastor Maritha here, back in 2011, if you can remember that, I, I did something that made my father say some painful words for me. Now, my dad, Daddy, as we call him, he's been here. Many of you have met my dad. He's a jolly man. He's a strong man. He's a great man. And we've had a great relationship our whole life. We've been buddy-buddy. A couple sermons back, I talked about how I frequently bite him, and he gets bit. And that's kind of the dynamic of our relationship. And one day, we uh, we were, actually, I, I approached the house, and he sees that I look a little different. He gets really angry because I came home with this on my face. A piece of my body that was pierced. Try to guess what it is. Hey, can we put that picture up there, Fina? I came home with a nose ring. Look at that. And so I. I, I run, thank you, Jessica. And so I come home, and this is my Sri Lankan dad, right? He's a, he's a strong man got a strong idea of masculinity. I come home and I have this golden hoop in my nose, and my dad, pretty traditional in a lot of ways, gets so mad. He goes, "Why do you have that hoop in your nose? How dare you come into my house under my roof looking like that?" And then he says the word, the words, "You are not my son anymore." And it was like, "Ah, oh, dad! Dad, you that's mean, and I was, I was pretty hurt. But then I was like, this is my dad. We have a great relationship. I'm just freaking him out because he's like, I'll never be that handsome. Look at Just look at that. Just look at that. And I go, Dad, you're not allowed to say that to me. I'll always be your son. And I go, Dad, when you were my age, did you ever do anything that made older generations like a little alarmed at your look and style? He said, well, yes. When I was your age... I love the Beatles. Son, I love their music. I love the Beatles. So I grew my hair out. Son, I had long hair. And the older generations didn't understand. I go, Dad, we're the same. And we had a family reunion right there. (laughs) And our family was totally restarted. You know, it was kind of scary to hear that phrase, though, you are not my son, because... My family is like Sri Lankan, maybe it's an Asian thing, but it's definitely a Sri Lankan thing. We have family members where when they say that, like, you're no longer welcome in our family, you're not my son, they mean it. Like, I have family friends that there's like a father and a son where they live like in the same block and they haven't talked to each other for decades. In fact, in my family line, I don't have any family as far as, mothers with their, their mothers or fathers. As far back as I can look in my family history, every generation has cut off the next generation. So my, my parents didn't talk to their parents, and my grandparents didn't talk to their parents. They cut it off. And so when I heard my family, my dad say that to me, I was like, no way, we're not letting this seed grow at all in our family. So immediately I was like, nope, I am your son. You have to deal with it. This is part of your legacy, this nose ring. Eventually I got rid of the nose ring, as you can see. But I didn't want that distance to, to take root at all in our family. And uh, to be honest, many of us in this place, we have relationships going on in our family right now, that, and they've grown distant. There are maybe siblings that don't talk to each other. Maybe you haven't talked to your parents in a long time. Maybe cousins. Maybe relationships have just grown apart. Maybe there's been divorce. And you're like, which family do I choose? You know, maybe like your, you know, whatever. There's just been distance. And there's been these temptations. And today I want to talk about like what happens in these moments. And, you know, whether you've dealt with some of these these sore subjects. Maybe you've experienced betrayal in your family, and you're like, man, I can't believe this person did that to me, and and you found yourself growing distant from them. Maybe you come from a a family that just like was abusive, maybe in violence or with words, and you're like, I I just need to escape. I need to grow distant. Maybe you you come from a family that's been filled with like unhealthy addictions, and you're like, man, the first chance I can get, I need to escape them. I need to run away because I don't want to be like them. And it, it's like maybe you come from a family where it's like, oh, man, when any one of us gathers, it's just fighting, fighting. We cannot be in the same room. We can't even be in the same zip code without just a conflict or an argument or a petty disagreement that breaks out. And uh, maybe you come from a family that just never showed up for you. They neglected you, so you're like, man, now that I'm an adult, I'm going to neglect them. You didn't show up for me when it mattered, and now that I have a choice, I, I just won't want anything to do with you. And we, fra- we, we say this phrase in our heart, and I, I don't know if you've said this, maybe in a different way, but we say this in our heart. When it comes to my family, they've hurt me so much. They haven't been there for me, and you know what? At this point in my life, it, it just it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter anymore. Like another way of phrasing that is, I, I don't care. I, I just don't care or it doesn't matter. Like they're not going to hurt me anymore. They're not going to affect me anymore. And I'm so sorry if, if that's something you've had to do. You've had to entertain a numbness when it comes to your family, your life, and your heart. And I I want us to remove this phrase from our heart that I don't care, it doesn't matter because I I wanna let you know that every person here, you were born to care. You're born to care, especially when it comes to your heart, especially when it comes to family, you were born to care. And and your family life, it does matter. The pain you've experienced, it does matter. The rejection and betrayal you faced, it, it does matter. It matters to me, it matters to this community, It matters to God. And actually, it's one of the reasons we call this series Family Matters, because these things matter. And the fact is, when you try to just escape and distance or cut these people off, or you say, you're you're dead to me, you're not going to hurt me anymore, you're going to find that uh, these things are like bungee cords in our heart. It's like our family's right here, and they're they're holding on to a part of our history, and we try to run away from it, and it's like they're holding on the other end of a a bungee cord, and we run away, and then we're in these new relationships, right? We're we're away from our family, but then as soon as conflict happens in this new relationship, this new family, this new friendship, it's like, oh, I'm so stressed in this relationship, and oh, man, I'm dealing with this by drinking, and I oh, no, I'm repeating the same mistakes as my family. And now, boom, that bungee that they're holding on just slaps us right back. And it's like we carry the same baggage back then, right now into this future relationship. Or we we try to escape our family, and we, we turn to these vices, or we are dealing with the same issues, even though it's a new family, or a new environment, or a new friendship. And that's the way it is. And when we say, I don't care, or I don't, it doesn't matter. We find that we don't escape our problems. And when we run from our problems, we find that we're in a race that we will never win. And so we need to deal with these things. You know, it's a race that will never win. And I want to phrase it like this. If you don't solve your problems from your past, they will follow you into your future. If you don't solve your problems from your past, they will follow you into your future. And so we need to deal with it. And I, I want to introduce an idea called reconciliation. Reconciliation, a family reunion. Reconciliation is basically when two things that are not compatible are worked so that they fit together. Two things that are incompatible, they work it out so that they are now compatible. And this idea of reconciliation is kind of scary, and our families can feel like a curse, and our families can feel like, I I finally got out of there. Why should I I forgive them? Why should I release them? Why should I reunite with them after all they did to me? And I'm gonna explain that and unpack that from the scriptures but I want to share with you, like, if you have escaped your family and you've, like, dealt with this idea of, it. I don't, I don't care, it doesn't matter, I want to let you know there's a chance that bitterness is growing in your heart. And, and the fact is, with bitterness, you may have heard this, it's like, it's like when you hold on to unforgiveness, you hold on to that bitterness, it's like you're drinking poison expecting someone else to suffer. It doesn't work that way, because when you hold on to unforgiveness, when you hold on to bitterness, you are the one who suffers. That baggage will come and slap you around, and every new relationship, every new family, every new environment, it will follow you around for the rest of your life. But here's hope. When we fight for our families, God fights for us. We serve a God who can set us free, who can give us a new beginning. We have a God who can turn ugly things and make them beautiful. Your family can be beautiful. Amen. And so how many of you today are fighting for your family? Amen. And I believe God is fighting for us. And so I want to share kind of a, a tough principle with this whole idea of reconciliation. And if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, this point on from the message it's really optional. I just want to be real. You're under no obligation to follow these principles. I believe that they will benefit you. But for you of, you know, for those of you who follow Jesus, have made a choice to make him the Lord or the master of your life, uh, there's a harsh reality coming up for all of us. And I want to start off with 2 Corinthians 5.14. And the scriptures say this, For Christ's love compels us. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And for those of us who have said, I don't care, or it doesn't matter, I just want to let you know, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you do not have the option of saying, I don't care. For Christ's love compels us. For Christ's love compels us. In other translations, this word compels is actually translated as constraints. So for Christ, love constrains us. In other words, it it focuses us. In other words, it takes away options. In other words, it takes away our choice. For Christ's love compels us. It constrains us. It limits our options. It limits our choices. And then it goes on to say, because we are convinced that one died for all. That's Jesus Christ. He died for all. And therefore, all died. So what does that mean in case that's confusing? In verse 15, Paul goes on to say, and he died for all. That those who live should no longer live. No longer live is another way of saying dying. No longer live. For themselves, So we're dying to ourselves, so we no longer live for themselves or ourselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So in this scripture, we see that Christ's love motivates us, and we can see that Christ did something uncomfortable for us, right? He died on the cross, and so now as followers of Jesus Christ, we do uncomfortable things for him. We no longer, we no longer live for Himself. And when it comes to our family members, forgiveness and reconciliation down in our hearts, we're saying, I don't want to do that. I don't, they don't deserve it. They, they don't, they don't get to have a relationship with me. They had their chance and they ruined it. And many of us in this room, if I sat down with you one-on-one, you tell me stories about your family and they would break my heart. I'd be like, oh, I can't believe that happened. You did not deserve that. That's so painful. I'm so sorry. And I probably would myself be tempted to say, hey, you know what? Don't listen to the scriptures. Like, just just get rid of them. Avoid them. But the fact is, it's not behavior that compels us. It's not our self-will that compels us. Christ's love compels us. We are compelled by the love of Christ's love. That is something that's inconvenient. Love, that means we require ourselves to die to ourselves. Christ did something uncomfortable for us, and so now we are called to do something uncomfortable for him. And and one thing that's required of followers of Jesus is this. Followers of Jesus initiate the healing of relationships. Followers of Jesus initiate the healing of relationships. You know, I, I remember as a, Is a 19-year-old, I never met my grandparents because our our family had been separated. As soon as my family left, there's bad blood, like I said, between my dad and his mom. They didn't talk. I wasn't allowed to have a relationship with them. And so I decided when I was 19, you know what? I want to meet my family. I don't know if they're going to like me. I don't know if they'll they'll welcome me, but I'm going to go. And the the war was still going on in Sri Lanka. I was was 15 feet away from grenade fights and machine gun blasts. It was like a pretty foolish decision as a 19-year-old. But I was like, I got to find out my origin and my past. I got to meet my family, my 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 dad, my mom, my sister. They're totally against it. They're like, don't go. We escaped. Don't have anything to do with them. But I went, and this was right after the tsunami hit Asia, and houses were scattered, and family was all over the place. And uh, I had a hard time finding where my, my family was I didn't know where my grandma was, and so I remember being on a motorcycle just looking to find out where my family was, where they lived. Finally, I found her, and I walked into the house. I didn't know how she would respond, and she said something that, that, that sticks with me to this day. She said, after 30 years, my blood has returned to me. And she cried and embraced me, and where I was so afraid what was going to happen, we had a true family family, reunion, and there's reconciliation, and she was able to show me family pictures, tell me things about my family I'd never known, where everybody was against this because of the danger of war, because of the pain of the past, but here we are, a new beginning, a fresh start, and followers of Jesus, we're called to be like this. We initiate the healing of relationships, And this isn't something that we just do on our own. We have a great example to follow, and that's the example of Jesus Christ. In verse 18 in this passage, it says, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them, And he has committed to us the message of Reconciliation. We're there for Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. And we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And so we we receive that all this is from God, who first reconciled us to himself through Christ. He reconciled us. And this is the gospel. This is what Jesus Christ did. While we were sinners, while we were still messing up, Jesus Christ, with full knowledge of the things we would do to reject God in the future— with full knowledge of all the ways we've rejected him in the past, with full knowledge of what we do right now, Jesus Christ reconciles us. He brings us to him. He says, hey, you have brought problems into this relationship. You have rejected me. You've turned your back on me. But I want to let you know. I, I said, Tick tick tick. He wants to let you know, I- I've set the table. I've got dinner ready. The door's unlocked. The door is open. And I've removed every obstacle from you having a relationship with God except for you. Isn't that powerful? In fact, that's a quote I got from Andy Stanley, a powerful preacher who's really unlocked some of this message for me to help understand. He says this, through Christ, God removed every obstacle to reconciling with us except us. All we have to do is say yes. Christ didn't wait for you to go halfway and meet him halfway. He takes the initiative, and he's going after you. He's go- and for all of us in this place, you're saying, I don't have a relationship with God. I want to let you know, no matter how many times you've turned your back on him, no matter how many times you didn't even think about him, he has been running after your heart. He wants you. He wants you just as you are, and he's removed every obstacle that gets in the way between you having a thriving, amazing relationship with God except for the obstacle of you saying yes. And here's an image that's helped me understand this idea of reconciliation, this image of what I want to see happen with our families. It's like when you have a a locksmith, and you you give him a key, or you give her a key, and you say, hey, I I need this key to fit this, this lock. It's locked. I need a new key. And so that, that locksmith takes a brand new key that's like has no, no edges on it. It's just smooth. It's just one piece and, and tries to use the key. It doesn't work. So then the locksmith shapes it up again, works with it. Maybe there's some friction. There's some heat, but works it out, tries it again, doesn't work. The locksmith takes it, shapes it, forms it. And then finally, that key has been worked out so much that when it is in, suddenly the lock is unlocked. Two incompatible things become compatible. And, and this is the example we follow in Jesus Christ. This is the ministry of reconciliation we've all received. in as followers of Jesus Christ, this is not an option. The fact is, Jesus Christ, he reached out for us. He set the table for us. He waited for us to say yes. He made it easy for us to be at peace with God. And so we are called to make it easy for our family members to have peace with us. Jesus Christ said yes to us before we even knew there was a problem. And I love the idea that while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. But the fact is, we know that God forgives us in spite of our sins, but we do not allow people to have relationship with us because of their sins. God forgives us in spite of our sins, but we don't allow people to have relationship with us because of their sins because of their past. We say, hey, your behavior disqualifies you from my unconditional love, which indicates that your love was conditional all along. And do you see how that wrecks the dynamic of a family? Because when you set the example of rejecting other people in your family, your kids realize that there are a few mistakes away from being rejected by you. Your spouse realize I'm a few mistakes away from being rejected by you. If you reject anybody in your family, you're in danger of rejecting everybody in your family because a relationship with you is conditional upon good behavior. And that's a dangerous reality in our families. But Jesus Christ, he says, I forgive you in spite of your sins. But we say, I won't forgive you because of your sins. And the reality is this, our standards for forgiveness are higher than God's. Our standards for forgiveness are higher than God's. And let me ask you that question. Is that your reality? Are your standards for forgiveness higher than God's? Has God forgiven people that you're unwilling to forgive? Wow. I want to be honest and transparent. This message is something I'm dealing with right now. I've wept many tears in preparation. I've had to work through some issues. It's been a very difficult message. But I have to say, like, Jesus, the moment I can stop forgiving people in my family is the moment you stop forgiving me. My standards will not be higher than yours, God. You are my example. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And you're saying, wow, God, God did that for me. He forgave me in spite of my sins. And man, if I, if I have to do that for my brother-in-law, well, I'll go to hell. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to do that but this is the example we have in Jesus Christ. While we were still sinners, he reconciled us, and now he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. When I I was first becoming a pastor, I lived with a a spiritual father. He was a pastor, and our relationship quickly got toxic, and it was painful and hurtful, and there's a lot of hatred. And Eventually, I ended up stopping a pastor, and I left church for a couple of years. But during that time, I was just filled with such rage and bitterness and uh, eventually, Amrita, Pastor Amrita, kind of called me out, and she said, hey, there's no reason why two pastors, two men of God, should not experience reconciliation. You follow the example of Jesus Christ. If he's truly the Lord of your life, that means you die to yourself and follow his way. There's no way two men of God should not experience reconciliation, and so uh, during that time, he wrote me a message on Facebook, and it's like, what's going on? Why did you leave? And Six months later, after Amritha called me out, I, I, desp- I, I decided to respond and took everything in me. It was so difficult. I was just like, oh, he hurt me. He doesn't deserve a relationship with me. And I, I just I wrote this letter. Just, it wasn't even that nice. You know, it was pretty mean. But I, I just started communication. And then he, he waited six months and then responded to me. And I'm not even exaggerating. Six months after that, I responded again. But uh, eventually, the next letter was three months. Then the next letter was two months. The next letter was one month. And then just four months ago, him and his wife were here in Washington. And we said, hey, you want to get coffee? And we sat in a coffee shop in Bothell for three hours. And we laughed together. We cried together. We talked about what it's like to be pastors together. And I want to let you know, today there's 100% reconciliation. Where for years, for like five years, we didn't even talk to each other. I just want to let you know that can be a reality. And uh, it, it's hard. It's difficult. But I want you to be free from this baggage. I want you to be free from your past so we don't have to create a culture that future generations have to recover from. In Romans 12, eight, so what, 18, what, what do we do this with this, with this message? I, I want to make it a little more practical for all of us. And Romans says this, if it is possible... As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And I want you to catch this part. It says, as far as it depends on you. And I just want to encourage you, do what you can do. You know, it takes only one person to forgive, and I hope all of you do that. You forgive, you release, you don't drink the bitterness, you don't drink the poison. It takes one to forgive, but it takes two to reunite. So you don't have all the pressure to have a perfect relationship and a perfect family, but you do have the pressure of just doing as much as depends on you. Do what you can do as Romans 12, 18. So I just wanna encourage you. Maybe it's uh, writing a letter like I did on Facebook. Maybe it's texting. Maybe it's just sending up a coffee. Maybe it's a dinner. and I know some of you already have names in your head of people you need to talk to and initiate a relationship. Maybe it's just saying, hey, uh, how are you doing? Uh, it, it's, just, it's just like what Jesus did. He, he made it easy for us to be at peace with him. He removed every obstacle to having a relationship with him except for us. And I want to challenge you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, to follow his example and make it easy for people to be at peace with you. Remove every obstacle except for the person that you would say, hey, I will have a relationship with you. And some of you guys are already thinking, well, what, what if I get hurt? Well, let me know. Let me let, me let you know this. You're probably going to get hurt. Like, if you're in a, a violent situation, you know, get out of that. There's, don't, don't set yourself up for physical harm, but emotionally and verbally, there is the potential. You are going to set yourself up for some pain. And it, it's, it's going to hurt. And uh, I'm, I'm so sorry about that. Some of you guys are saying, well, it, it's just it's just not going to work. But I, I want to let you know this. Whenever you there's someone taking a step towards reconciliation. It's going to work at least in one heart. It's probably going to be your heart. And, and I, w- I want to say that I care more about your heart than your hurt because I don't want to see our hearts get hard. I don't want to see us like trying to run away from our baggage, but then we start to, you know, endeavor to have new relationships and new families and that same baggage comes and it it might not work. It, it just might not. And that I know I'm knowingly signing you up for a potentially losing battle. But the fact is, we're not living for ourselves anymore. We're doing this at times out of obedience to Christ and following his example. And I, I want to let you know, it, it hurt Jesus. And there's some people that still reject Jesus, but he still made it easy for people to be at peace with him. Some of you are thinking, well, I don't want to condone bad behavior. Like, you know, if I, if I go and hang out with him, in his family, like, do you know what he did to my mom? Like, and if I just accept her into my life and heart, it's, it's just going to, like, dismiss all the pain my mom went through, and I, I don't want to condone that behavior. And I, I just want to say, like, opening a relationship and acknowledging that there's tons of elephants in the room, I'm not calling you to work out every issue, to, to be on the same page with every issue, to be in agreement on every issue. All I'm asking you to do is open the door. And, Jesus Christ, he was accused of the same thing. What? You're hanging out with prostitutes and tax collectors? Do you condone that behavior? How could you even hang out with them? And Jesus wasn't condoning bad behavior. He's just saying, I love you in spite of all of your spin, your sins. Your behavior isn't a condition to having a relationship with me. I'm going to love you anyways. And I, I, I just want to say, I'm so sorry for the pain you've endured and ex- experienced. But I, I truly believe that when we fight for our families, it's worth it. And if you've said that phrase in your heart, I I just don't care, it doesn't matter. That's a huge red flag for me. It tells me that your process, your heart is in the process of growing hard. It tells me that the rest of your family is at risk of being cut off from you. And I'm not dismissing that there's some very, very, very painful realities in this room. I'm going through them right now in my family. But the fact is, God cares about our heart. He doesn't want us to drink this poison. And we were born to care. And when we say, I don't care, things are, are, are hardening and not working in our heart. And so right now, we just say, Christ's love compels me. Not my family's behavior, not my willpower, not how I think things should be. But Christ, this is your love. Because it might, it's not even my love. Because if I had it my way, my family, they would suffer and they would be rejected and no, but like Christ's love compels. And so right now, Christ, I just ask, would you fill me with your love? Would you fill me with your hope? Would you help me fight for my family the way you fought for me to be in your family? Jesus Christ, be my strength. Jesus, would you help me? Would you help? And so I I just want to give you a simple challenge. You have some names in your heart or in your mind. Would you just reach out to them and maybe text them this? I'll put it on the screen. But hey, I was just thinking about you. How are you? Just open the door. I'm not saying you have to work out every single detail of your relationship. Let the elephant stay in the room, if that's what it takes to have a relationship with someone. Fight for your families like God fights for you. Hey, I was just thinking about you. How are you? Here's some pictures of my kids. Here's what's going on in my life. I'll make it easy for you to be at peace with me. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. Dear Father, this is such a challenging message. You set such a challenging example. Lord, we fully acknowledge we can't do this in our own strength. Jesus, would you be our strength in this moment? Would you help us to have these awkward and difficult Conversations with people, to be quite honest, don't deserve it. Would you help us, Lord, to be like you? You loved us when we didn't deserve it. Lord, help us. You know, with every head bowed and every eye closed, some of you are really challenged by this message, and maybe God is speaking to you right now. And if, if there's someone on your heart, I, I just want you to just raise your hand if you're saying, Hey, I need a I, I need to make it easy for some people to be at peace with me. If there's someone you need to forgive, would you just raise your hand? This is just between you and, your, and God. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I'm concerned about your heart. I'm concerned about your hearts, and I want I want you to be free. And so just raise your hand if you, you need to be set free. Just as a first step of saying, God, I'm I'm going through the awkward process. I'm going through the hard work. I'm going to do it. I'm going to Maybe be hurt again, but I'm going to be like you, Jesus. So let me just pray for you, dear Father. I, I, with all these people with their hands up, Lord, I just pray that you give them strength and courage. Lord, I pray that you would help them. I pray that you keep our hearts soft, Lord. I, I just, Lord, this is so difficult, and I, I just pray that you you would help us, help us, help us, help us to have a family reunion, Father. We know that a house divided won't stand. So help us to have a family reunion. You can put your hands down. Hey, I'm so proud of you, and I, I hope you all send that text out. But I want to talk to one final group of people here before I get off the stage. And If you're here and you don't have a relationship with God, you haven't experienced that fresh start, forgiveness. If you're not living life with hope, man, that's the worst. Now I want to let you know that you can have hope You can have a life with God. You can have a new beginning. It's the best decision you can make to say, Jesus, I choose to follow you. Jesus, I surrender you. And I want to let you know, he's made it very easy for you to be at peace with him. It's just surrendering your full life. It's just saying yes to all that God has for you. And so uh, if you want to give your life to God and receive that fresh start, I want to pray for you. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes one more time. We're going to create a private moment. I'm not going to embarrass anybody here, but I'm going to ask you to raise your hand on the count of three. If you're saying, Pastor Pradeepin, would you pray for me? I want to surrender my life to Jesus. One, two, three. Would you lift up your hand now boldly so I can see it? If you're saying, Pastor and pray for me. I want to give my life to Jesus. Just so raise it boldly so I can see it. I want to include you in a prayer. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm so proud of all of you, and I, I want us to pray this prayer together. And we're going to put some words on the screen, and, and let's pray this all together, especially if you've surrendered your life to Jesus. Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I open the door of my life and receive you as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Take control of my life. I turn from my old ways and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In the name of Jesus, amen. Can we give Jesus a round of applause for forgiveness for a new start?